Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app available for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace Church 417 in your app store and follow along. And now for our message. 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 20 says this. David says, after defeating the Philistines when they came up against him, David says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Our God is a God who breaks through. He is Baal Perazim, which means Lord of breaking through. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, our God is a breakthrough God. Our God is a breakthrough God. By the way, when I ask you to turn to the person next to you, make sure you go left and right. You you should see what I see. Two people look at each other, and another person on the other side is looking at them, and they look like, nobody looked at me. So go left and right each time, okay? Make sure you do that. Include everybody. So our, our God is a God of breaking through. And this series is not just about us individually trusting the Lord to bring breakthrough in our lives, but it's also, I feel, prophetically, collectively, the Lord wants to bring breakthrough to all of us as a church, corporately. As a body, he wants to break through in our midst, not just individually, but as a group. And in this particular series, we're going to be looking at two, uh, two areas that seem to be, to me, this is kind of a Tim thing, these are areas of a spe- uh, uh, that are especially important in terms of our attention because God loves to break through in regard to forgiveness. When we begin to offer forgiveness, we begin to walk in grace with people. And in regard to finances, when we begin to honor God with our finances in ways that are, that are pretty radical compared to this world, when we do those things, when we trust him in that way, there is breakthrough that follows. Now, we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at finances and forgiveness. And instead of doing it over the whole scope of the scriptures... We're going to instead kind of confine our time and our, and, our, and our digging into just one book. We're going to be in the book of Luke for the next six weeks. Now, I'll bring other scriptures in and references, and I'll probably mention some other stuff. But for the most part, we're going to be in Luke. So if you want to kind of be, like, if you want to do the extra credit, be reading Luke. Just be, you know, methodically reading through the gospel of Luke, and you're going to see some of the things that we're going to be talking about week in and week out. You'll be prepared for them. Now, very often, big concept before we jump into Luke this morning, but we're going to be in Luke 16 once we get there. If you want to turn in your Bible or on your device or however you choose to do that, uh, Luke chapter 16. But big concept, breakthrough, spiritually speaking, breakthrough, breakthrough comes when I resign control in an area of my life. When I make Jesus Lord in a particular area of my life and I say with open hands, open heart, Lord, I want you to take this over. We position ourselves for there to be breakthrough. The the biggest and best example of this is when someone comes to Christ. In salvation, we have this barrier in front of us. We cannot get to God because of sin. And the only way that we can get to God is by extending faith and choosing to trust, choosing to make Jesus Lord of it all, right? You can't become, that's why in our membership covenant it says we, we acknowledge Jesus as Savior, great and easy, and Lord, great and hard. It's difficult to let go, but you can't become a follower of Jesus unless you say, you're the Lord of all. Amen? So it's one of the most spiritual things you can say. First Corinthians chapter 14, one of the most spiritual things you can say is, Jesus is Lord. 
You identify with that, that universal pr- uh, principle. All of creation, by the way, is shouting, Jesus is Lord. And so when we say it, we agree with all of that God has put his hand to, and we're saying he is the Lord of all. So in our lives, spir- in, our, in our spiritual walks, when we come to Jesus, that's the biggest breakthrough of all. We say, Jesus, your Lord, I'm resigning control of my life. I'm letting go. I want you to take control. And we have this massive initial breakthrough. Boom, that barrier of sin is decimated. And now we have a relationship with God. And over the years, from that point until we go to see Jesus, we will have these smaller versions of breakthrough, no less significant, just not as large, over and over and over again. And it's the same process every single time. We resign control. We allow Jesus to be Lord. And he gets us unstuck we move forward. We have a sense of momentum. We have a sense of growth. This is what happens over and over and over again. We experience a new dimension of the kingdom of God each time we choose to trust him like that. Does this make sense? Oh, my. Let's try that again. Does this make sense? Yes. Better. Very good. Now, we're going to start with this um, series of messages on breakthrough on finances this morning, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. And before I start reading Luke chapter 16, I want to say this to you. Of all the parables in all of the gospels we have recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus tells parables. Parables is a spiritual story, right? With a, it's a story with a, with a spiritual point, I should say. Of all of the parables Jesus tells, this one's the weirdest, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, get ready for a weird story. I'm telling you, this is a weird story. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, every time I read this one, and I read, I mean, I ought to read my Bible a lot because I'm the pastor, but I do read my Bible a lot, and, and every time I read this story, I think, man, this is weird. But Jesus chose to say it, and Luke chose to write it down, and it is a really good story. It's just a little different. Let's look, first nine verses of chapter 16 we're going to start with. He said to his disciples, this is Jesus, he said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him, and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Verse 3, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. Verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6. And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of righteous, unrighteous wealth. Sorry about that. Make, make, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails. Would you say the word when with me? Amen. Super important. If you're going to underline anything in this story, that's the word to underline. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Raise your hand if this is a strange parable to you. Good, I'm not alone. Some other people think, it's just weird. I mean, it's weird because of this. 
I have to say this right off the bat. Most of you already get this, but I got to say it. Jesus is not condoning deception or theft in this parable. Like what the manager does, he's the dishonest manager. What he does is not okay. It's not okay to lie to people so that they like you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not going to lie to you. I need you to like me anyway, okay? Turn to him. Tell him, I want you to like me. I'm not going to lie to you. That's what this is. That guy goes out and lies to all these people, and they like him because of it, because he saves them a bunch of money. It is a, it is a weird parable. What Jesus is applauding isn't the deception or the theft. What Jesus is applauding is the shrewdness. It's, it's the word that the manager says about, the, I'm sorry, that the owner says about the dishonest manager. He says he was, he was impressed by this, this being shrewd, this strategizing, this leveraging of the tool of money for some personal benefit. The guy used money as a tool for, for accomplishing some selfish goals. His motives were bad. But Jesus is telling this story to, to draw attention to his strategy, his willingness to use money for a good end, even though it was a, it was a selfish end. Now, at the most basic level, it's going to sound like I'm saying things that are contradictory this morning in regard to money. So just hang with me. At the, hang with me. At the most basic level, money is amoral. Money is not good or bad. Okay? Amen. Right, so I, I didn't have any money, but Beth gave me, oh, she's not here. Beth gave me money in the first service. This is what happens when you have friends. She gave me these two $5 bills because I was referencing, like these two $5 bills don't have any like spirit to them. Like they're not like, I mean, it feels like they're saying spend me at a certain place, but the reality is I can do whatever I want with this money, right? Okay, so I can take this money and even though it wouldn't buy very many groceries, I could buy some groceries with this money and give them to somebody that was hungry. Would that be a good thing to do with money? Very good. You guys are very moral. That's right. Or I could take this money and I could you go to the liquor store and I could buy whatever stuff that you can get for $10, which wouldn't be very good quality, I don't think. And I could, and I could maybe, I don't know. You can tell I spent a lot of time at liquor stores. You know, I, you, you could use that and I could give this to someone that was struggling with addiction and it would be a bad use of money. Amen? But the money doesn't have anything to do with that. Right? Okay, so money is amoral. It doesn't, when you're talking about the the paper or the coin or whatever we're holding, money is amoral. It doesn't know if it's doing something good or something bad, but money can be leveraged to influence other people, which is exactly what the dishonest manager does. Jesus was saying this, you can use money that is temporary. Remember he says, because it's going to fail when it fails. By the way, that means there is no money in heaven. Turn to the person next to you and say, no money in heaven. There's no money in heaven, right? It's going to fail. We only have this little bit of time to use money, and we can use it to impact others. Write this down in your notes if you would. It's the first fill-in. Jesus instructs his disciples to use the temporary, which is money, to affect the eternal. And the only thing that's eternal on this planet are people. Even the planet itself is going to be remade. When you read the end of Revelation, we get a new heaven and a new earth. So even what we're seeing here, it may be this ball, but it's going to look like this. It's going to be totally redone because it's going to be all new. Behold, I make all things new. That's what Jesus said. So money is a temporary thing, and we can use this temporary asset to impact people for eternity. And this strange parable kind of functions as a backdrop 
It almost feels like when you read through the text, the first nine verses of uh, Luke 16, that, that Jesus goes, okay, now, now that I told you this neat story and I got your attention because I'm sure it got the attention of his disciples because it has some really wild elements in it. He says, now I want to get into the real nitty gritty of money. Look with me at verses 10, 11, and 12. Jesus then says this. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That concept in verse 10 is often referred to as the little much principle. And it is a kingdom it is a kingdom principle that is constant all the time. It applies to all kinds of things, not just my, certainly money, but all kinds of things. Like if, if I am developing a leader to do ministry, I give them small tasks first. And if they are faithful with small tasks, they get larger ones, right? I mean, that's the principle. Same thing with money. If I, if I manage this $10, these two $5, if I manage this well, the principle is eventually I'll have more to manage. I'll have, I've shown myself faithful with a little bit and I will be faithful with a lot. And the opposite is true too, right? If I am unfaithful with something small, I am not qualified. I am not able. I am not, I am not ready to be given more responsibility. Write that down on your sheets if you would this morning or on your on the app, one unfaithful with wealth is not ready for more kingdom responsibility. Like we think of money as being like a big deal. Like when someone's good at managing money, it's like, you know, they're, they're, um, they're really spiritually mature. But the reality is, is that money is like the kindergarten of kingdom stuff. Like if you can't do money well, if you can't manage money well, you're not ready for anything else. As a matter of fact, when you were looking at the text, it almost seemed like some people would interpret that and say, if you can't handle a little bit of money, you're not ready for a lot of money. But that's not contextually what's going on there. What's going on there is he's saying, if you can't handle money at all, you'll never get true riches. Money is temporary. True riches are eternal. So we learn how to handle the eternal by handling the temporary well. Does this make sense? Good. Good. In the kingdom, verse 12, in the kingdom... We really don't own anything. We don't have anything. We only steward is the, is the spiritual older translation word or manage for someone else. Now, we like to think that as Christ followers, we're stewards of God's money, right? What you have doesn't, what I have, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, is that's true with everybody's money. Because nobody, what's the old, you know, what's the old cliche? You can't take it. You guys don't know that one? Try it again. You can't take it. You can't take it with you. So, and it doesn't matter how much any of us try to accumulate or hold on to money. It's only temporary. It only lasts for right now. It's not ours. It's a really big principle for people to, to swallow that one. That, think about it for just a second. Everything you own, and not, you, you know what I mean when I say that. Everything that you own. If you have a house, you have a car, dog, I don't know. Whatever you have, everything that you own actually doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. If that's true, if it belongs to the Lord, then it changes the way we look at it because now I'm not just doing what I want with what's mine. I'm instead managing that for someone else and I have to give an account for how I handle what he's given me. It's a big deal. It just changes. If it's mine, then it's mine. What are you, who are you to tell me? But if it's not mine, if it's someone else's, if it's the Lord's, that ups the, the responsibility level that I have in terms of the way that I handle that which he has given me. 
Look at verse 13. This is, turn to the person next to you and say, this is the big one. All working towards this one. It's zeroing in. It goes like this. Right to 13. Here it comes. Ready? Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one, and he will despise the other. You cannot, say that word with me, you cannot serve God and money. Ooh. Can we just admit that that's hard to listen to? Man, ah, that's a heavy, heavy concept. Jesus gets really clear and really direct really fast. And he presents this kingdom principle. You can't serve two masters, but he presents it in the context of money. People are not designed to have two masters. You were not made by God to have more than one master. When Adam and Eve were created out of the dust of the earth and Eve out of the the rib of Adam, when they were created, they were created to have one God, to have one Lord, to have one master. And so regardless of what we say or what we do about, you know, being able to, you know, to have more than one master in our lives, we were designed to give our allegiance, to give our affection, to give our obedience to just one Lord. We were created to serve one. On your sheets, if you want to jot this down, we cannot serve God and money. We will serve God or money. I hate the fact that there's no wiggle room here. It's just so like, there it is, like boom, right there. There it is. You get God and money. That's it. Those are the two options. And earlier, I mentioned to you that, that money was amoral. These $5 bills can be used for whatever. And that is true. But there is a spirit of money. The King James Version, the, the New King James Version, when, they, when you read this translation, I'm sorry, when you read those translations and you read verse 13, it will say, you cannot serve God and, does anybody know? Mammon. Yes, very good, you scholars. Mammon. Mammon is the personification of wealth. It's giving human qualities to something that is not human. It is, the, it is a, my, my, this is how I define it. It is a demonic spirit masquerading as the Almighty through this, this context of finances. Mammon is a spiritual force. It is a small g God, an idol, if you will. Mammon is a, uh, is, money is spiritually neutral. Doesn't mean, you know, right, wrong, up, down, whatever. Mammon is not. Mammon is the enemy animating money, the spirit of money, making it like a God. This is why you can't serve God in money. It's not saying you can't serve God in some paper bills. That's, that's not what he's talking about. What Jesus is talking about, you cannot serve the Almighty and the spirit of money at the same time. You can't do it. Because, and here's the reason. Money says, mammon says, the spirit of wealth says what God says. It says, I am your security. It says, I will provide for you. It says, trust me. It says, serve me. All the things that God says to us. God says, I am your security. God says to us, I will provide for you. God says, trust me. God says, serve me. Mammon says the exact same thing, but the difference is, is that mammon can't deliver. 
Because if I serve mammon, if I serve this spirit of wealth, and I put my trust, I put my hope in having enough money, I will never be satisfied because it cannot deliver. Talk to someone that doesn't know the Lord, that's not serving the Lord, that has a thing about money, and they're trying to accumulate all the time. They're never satisfied. They always have to have more because there's never enough. Because mammon's trying to do what, what, what only God can do for us. It's trying to fulfill a need inside of our lives that only God can fulfill. The spirit of money is speaking in this day all the time. The spirit of money whispers to you. And some of the whispering comes from the, the home that you grew up in. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how we, we kind of catch a culture from our, our home of origin, our family of origin, right? Like your dad doesn't say, I'm getting ready to lose my temper. Come on outside. I'll, throw, I'll show you how to throw tools. It doesn't happen. You just happen to be in the garage at the wrong time. Next thing you know, he's doing, you're like, whoa, that's how we do anger. Okay, I got it. That's just what we learn. Same thing is true with money. Most of us are not instructed. Some of us are, praise the Lord, but many of us are not instructed how to handle money. Our understanding of what mammon can give to us, we pick up from those around us. We watch it in our parents. We see it in our grandparents. We see it in those who, who we are exposed to as children. The spirit of money speaks in our culture. Did anybody watch the, there was a game. I can't remember what it was called last week. It was on Sunday. Oh, yeah, the Super Bowl. I actually knew that. Anybody watch Super Bowl? Raise your hand. Bunch of sinners. No, I watched it too. Yeah, we, we watched the Super Bowl. It was great. I watched the whole thing. I almost never watched the whole thing. It was fantastic. I had a great time. Watched the whole thing. Did you know that Mammon was speaking? <laughs> the spirit of Mammon was speaking throughout the Super Bowl. Every three, four, five minutes. At about a million dollars every 30 seconds, Right? They weren't just there to tell you to have a nice day. They were there to get you to feel like if I have that thing or have that experience or have that much money in an account, then I will be secure. Then I will be provided for. Then I will be happy. Then I will be fulfilled. The spirit of mammon is constantly speaking in this culture to us. The problem is, is that mammon always lies. The truth is we only need God. It's hard even to think about, but the truth is you don't need money and neither do I. I only need God. I can live without money. I can't live without God. I can, I can somehow, some way, he will take care of me if I put him first. If I put money first, I will always find myself reaching for more, always wishing that I had the security that money promised that, couldn't deli- that it couldn't deliver on. It's really important for us to start in this kind of a series about breakthrough with this big idea. Because usually when you hear at church, like we're going to talk about money, what are we talking about? Giving. Yeah, tithing. Thank you. It's like all about giving. And giving is super important. And we're going to talk about that. But it's, it's bigger than that. Because here's the deal. When, you, when we settle the lordship issue with money, giving is not hard. The issue is always lordship. It always comes back to who's in charge. It always comes back to who has the authority So how do we discern this? I'm almost finished, but how do you determine if I'm serving God or serving money? How do you know? Well, you can ask yourself a couple of questions. First one is this. When I'm in need, when I'm in trouble, when when I am low, when I am blue, when I am not feeling good, where do I run? Do I run to money? Do I run to mammon? Do I run to stuff? Do I run to experiences? Do I run to to the next gadget, the next thing, the next car, the next, you know, vacation, whatever? Where do I run when I'm in need? Second question you could ask yourself, and I just made these up. There's lots of questions you can ask yourself, but do I look to wealth to make me happy? If I look to my wealth, if I look to money to make me happy, I'd have to question if I'm serving God or serving mammon. 
Do I look for wealth to make me feel safe? Do I look to wealth to make me feel rewarded? I hear people say this all the time, not here at Grace because we're more spiritual than this, but other people say things like this, I deserve it. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know whether or not you deserve it, but if my mindset is I worked hard, I deserve it, I'm getting what I want, that makes me nervous in regard to this distinction between serving God and serving money. Here's the third question. Does God's word generally... Does the word of God direct how you spend your money or not? Do you, or do, you, do you direct how you spend your money? These questions help us understand who we actually serving. Breakthrough in this area can take place, but it can only take place when the lordship issue with finances is settled. Because if I put my trust in gold or in silver or in paper currency or cryptocurrency, that's a new place to get, you know, excited. If I put my trust there, I will not get a breakthrough. God will not give me a breakthrough in this area if I choose to focus on money and not focus on serving him. Don't believe for one second that God doesn't care about your money. He does. When you read the Gospels, there's more about money than just about any other topic in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's constantly in there. It's constantly bringing it up. And I have to ask myself, why, why is it in there so often? Is like, does like God have a money thing? Like, is he fixated on it? What's the issue? The issue is, is that it is a wonderful place to reveal the heart of a person is how they handle money. It's a great indicator of lordship. If I will surrender, I will see breakthrough. Breakthrough always follows surrender. Every single time. In this subject and in other subjects. Breakthrough always follows surrender. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm fully surrendered, Tim. I'm in a really good place with this. God is on the throne and I am not serving mammon. Thank you. Hallelujah. I am so grateful because we need people that are in that place because that helps us as a body to, to really concentrate prayer on people that are struggling. Because I can tell you right now, there are people in this room, and I'm not, not because I know, and I'm not getting that prophetically. I'm just saying, based on the number of people that are here, there are people that right now in their minds, right now in their hearts, right now in their stomachs, they are feeling this is not resolved in my life. And that's where I want us to start. Don't worry about giving part right now. Don't worry about your checkbook. Don't well, you remember those checkbook things that people used to have? Don't worry about your banking app. Don't worry about any of that stuff right now. Let's just confine our conversation to one thing, lordship. If you're struggling right now, if you're like in this wrestling place, I, want, I got one more word for you and then we're gonna pray. And the word is grace. There is grace for you. There is grace for you. God is gracious. He loves you. He will walk with you. He is not performance-oriented. You're not earning his pleasure by being someone that is a good giver. That's not what this is about. What this is about is coming before him and saying, Lord, I want you more than anything else. Please help me if you find yourself in a position where you're not surrendered in regard to money. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray together.
I just, I really want to just, I want to pause for a moment. I, in my spirit, I just, I feel like there is some real combat going on. And I, and I'm, thank you, Christian. And I am, um, I want, I just want to tell you that's okay. Let, let it, let the wrestling match take place. It's okay. Don't feel offended. Don't be upset. Don't be angry. Don't be, don't be defeated. Just let the wrestling match take place. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let the Holy Spirit encourage you. There is grace for us as a body and individually on this subject. There's grace for us on every subject. Don't try to figure everything out right now. Just let's simplify this. Let's just reduce this to its most basic level. And let's pray. Lord, is it, are we going to make you Lord or are we going to make money, Lord. And, and just to be clear, I don't think anybody in here is like, nah, I don't need Jesus. I've got money. That's never what people do. What they do is they take both. They think they can have both. I want Jesus and I want to serve money and you can't do it. But I don't think anybody in here is just so like radical as to say, dismiss Jesus because I have mammon. The Holy Spirit's inviting us just to come and rest and trust and only have one master. So would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, come right now. First of all, so grateful, Lord, that there are many people hearing this message that are like, I'm good. I know that Jesus is on the throne and I don't serve money. Money is a tool that that I use by his direction. That's so awesome. I thank you for them, Lord. May they be interceding for the others that aren't there yet. And for the people that are hearing this message this morning in this room or online or wherever, and they're just, they're contorted inside because they know that there's a battle going on. Lord, I pray that you would give grace to them right now, that they would feel your presence, that they would not feel condemned, but rather, Lord, they would feel drawn to you. And that, Lord, this would be a moment for them of trust. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to trust that, that if, I, if I only serve you and that if I only look to you as my provider, as my security, as my reward, if I only serve you, that things will be okay, Lord. Give them the ability this morning in Jesus' name to trust, to trust, to let go of control, to invite you in and to begin to see breakthrough in this area of their lives. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Cause there to be breakthrough as we trust you. Amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before David comes. Grace Church family, Grace Church family, you will be blessed when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you don't lean on your own understanding. Grace Church family, you will be blessed when you acknowledge him in all of your ways because he's going to make your path straight. Lord, I pray that for this body May we trust your ways and not our own. Cause us to walk in ways that are righteous and blessing-filled. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.